0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Passover prep learning series. I'm just going to just briefly introduce Rabbi Dr. Avi Habibi just by saying he is one of my favorite people on the planet and one of my favorite teachers on the planet. Um, and when I asked him to do this, he was the first person that I could think of to teach something outside of Torah because he taught me Nach. And so as soon as we started talking about a Megillah, I was like, well, the rabbi doctor has to be our teacher. Um, and I'm so glad and feel really honored that you said yes and very excited to learn with you. Uh, and now I will turn it over to you to share whatever you would like to share.
1: Great. Thank you. So I'm Avi Havivi. I know most of you, but not everyone. Um... Why doesn't everyone, uh, so I'm not so good at monitoring the chat. Um, and I'm going to ask Rabbi Schatz to do that for me. So, but how about if everyone maybe type your name or first name in the chat and just sort of say your connection? Cause there are a lot of people I know, but then there are a few people I don't know. So I'll want to know, like, if you're like Joanna from Toronto or you're from some other place like that. Um, and I'll look at the chat later. Um, what we're going to do, cause we'll have, I'm not sure we're going to have a lot of time. Or, or, or bandwidth or for di- free discussion. I think that may not work. Um, or Q and A, but so I want, if people have comments or questions, put them in the chat. And then I'm going to have Rabbi Schatz, um, monitor the chat and feed me whatever she deems appropriate. I will also be reviewing the chat, which will be saved for me afterwards. And so we may make adjustments between um, one week and the next. So if there are things that I don't get to that are in the chat, I'll try to get to them. Okay, so let me tell you what we're gonna be doing. So Rabbi Shot said to me, "What I teach four sessions on Shirim. And she said, oh, it'll be easy. Just do chapter one and two the first time and three and four the next time, and then five and six and seven, eight. And I said, oh, okay, you're asking me as if you think like I have a Shirim course in my back pocket, which I do not, but I did not want to say no to her. And so, of course, teaching something is a great opportunity to learn it. So I've been doing lots of learning and research, and it's really fun and interesting. And here's the agenda, what we're going to do. Um, I am going to attempt to read through two chapters every week. We'll give you the text in a few moments. Or, or Rabbi Schatz, you can put the link in now. So if there's a link. Uh, it's going to be in the chat. And you can open it. It is my nine page handout for today. OK. Um, and Shirim, the chapters are short, so we really could in four weeks easily read through all of Shirashirim. And then the cross fertilization on the grid of what we're going to do different in the four weeks is um, many of the medievals said that there are four levels or four methods of studying Torah. And they use the acronym PARDES, the orchard, right? And PARDES stands for PSHAT, REMEZ, DROSH, and SOD. PSHAT means the simple, um, superficial meaning of the text in context. Okay. Uh, it goes out of order. It should be PADRES, but it's, but the word is PARDES. Then the next level is DROSH, which is DROSH. Midrash. Remez is interpreted to mean allegory, and it usually means philosophical allegory because the medieval Jewish philosophers saw a lot of the things in the Bible as allegory. Now I don't actually know anything about medieval Jewish philosophy. So this is an area, an area that I was not able to master sufficiently in the whatever it is, six weeks since Rabbi Schatz asked me to do this class. So we're gonna do probably some medieval commentators, mafarshim who do talk about, use allegory. And actually, the truth is, the Midrash on Shirashirim is mostly allegory also. But we're not going to do medieval philosophy, because I don't know anything about medieval philosophy. And then the last one is Sod, which means um, uh, esoteric knowledge, which is Kabbalah. So we'll try to look at some. So this week, we're going to talk about, um, so every week, we're going to do Pshat, meaning we're going to read two chapters of Shirashirim, and we're going to try to understand what it means we're going to do it all in English. I will make reference to the Hebrew, so for the people who like Hebrew and know Hebrew, you'll get something out of that. If you don't know Hebrew, then you'll that just ignore that when I say this is for the Hebrew people um, the Hebrew interested people um, we won't do a lot of that because because the class is geared towards people who who uh are less familiar with the Hebrew um. So we're going to do the pshat really each week, two chapters, and then each week we'll do a different particular approach. So today we are going to talk, after we do our two chapters of reading, about, I'm going to call it, trying to understand, I I will define pshat now as the original contextual meaning of the text in its time. It's a pretty good description of pshat. Next week, we will look at some of the Midrashim from Shir HaShirim Rabbah, the major Midrashic work from the Talmudic rabbinic period um, about Shir HaShirim. Uh, Week three, we'll look at some medieval commentators um, and their allegorical understandings of Shir HaShirim. And week four, we will try to look at some mystical, Kabbalistic interpretations of Shir HaShirim. So that's what we're going to do over these four weeks. Um, Rabbi Schatz asked, me to do this partly because it's linked to Pesach, because this is part of our wonderful month long something every day of the week pre-Pesach learning that she has organized as she did for a wonderful month long of learning before Rosh Hashanah. I'm actually going to talk very little, basically almost not at all about the link of Shir HaShirim to Pesach. Okay. Um, I'm actually taking a class at Hadar in New York online, which starts at 4.30 this afternoon, West Coast time, on Shir Hashirim and Passover. So if I pick up some good little nuggets there from Rabbi Aviva Richmond at Hadar, then I will pass them along to this group. Rachel Green, did you decide to sign up for that class also? She said to me, which one should I take, that one or yours? I said, well, take both. I think they'll be different. And, you know, the more Torah you learn, the better it is. Okay. Um, so that's the overall plan for these four weeks that's what we're going to do so the place, I'm going to start with the place of Shir Hashirim and now I'm in my handout which you can access online right, everyone has the link in the chat you should open the link because we will be reading Shir Hashirim from that text okay um, or you may read Shir Hashirim from your own text if you have a different one at home, so you don't you don't actually have to open the link. I'll
0: do you want me to share the screen or no?
1: It, yeah. Okay. No, not yet. Not yet. When we get to the text, we'll do screen sharing. When we're reading text, we'll do screen sharing. Thank you. Um, but we're not quite up to that yet. Okay. So what is the place of Shirashiri? I'm just going to say some. Uh, actually, by the way, first I have a question. Please raise your hand if you believe you have a... Well, a lot of people are not on screen. Reason, if you believe you have a reasonably reasonable familiarity with Shirasharim, like, yes, I've read it over the years. I, you know, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Just want to see. Okay. Well, we have a a lot of yeses, but a lot of uh, noes. So, okay. Got it. So, Shirasharim is located in what we Jews consider the third division of the Bible. We have Torah and and Ketuvim. Torah, Prophets, and Writings. So Shirima is in Writings, Ketuvim. I say our Jewish division because Protestants and Catholics have a different um, different division of the Bible. So in the Protestant Bible, you'll find Pentateuch, which we call the Fumash, Historic Works, Poetic Works, and Prophets. They have four divisions. And Che will be in the third division, which is poetry. Um, it's part of the five migilo the five Migilode have nothing to do with each other, right they're the reason probably that they're together historically is they were short so in terms of technology of scroll writing, they were probably too short to be a whole scroll unto itself, so these five. Works, all of which are relatively late. They're all in the third division in Ketuvium. They were put together in one scroll, probably for convenience, the same way that the 12, we call them the minor prophets, the 12 short prophets were put together all in one scroll because they were short, like the prophet. O- Obadiah is only one chapter long. You can't put that in a scroll. The scroll would get lost. It wouldn't even roll up. It wouldn't even be a scroll. It would be barely one column, right? So works that were very, very short might have been put together in a scroll. So we have the 12 prophets in one scroll. We have the five Megillot in another scroll. Um, what does connect the Megillot is we you use all of them liturgically, so Esther, we know, and Eicha Lamentations, we know, that most people know. Um, And unless someone is a real regular shul-goer at a fairly traditional shul, people may be unaware that we read the other three Megillot, Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, on the Shabbat in the middle of Sukkot, Shir Hashirim on the Shabbat in the middle of Pesach, which this year we don't have one, so I assume Shir Hashirim will be read on the seventh day, um, although I didn't look in my luach, um, but that's usually when it's read, um, and um, Ruth on Shavuot. Okay, so all the five of these Megillot are read liturgically. By the way, footnote, interesting footnote, they, the five Megillot are in a different order in Ashkenazi Torah scrolls or Ashkenazi printed Bibles from Sephardi, Torah scrolls or printed Bibles. I, I may get them backwards, okay? But in Ashkenazi, they are printed in the order in which they occur liturgically in our calendar, right? Starting with Nisan, which is considered the first month for purposes of this discussion. So Shira Shirim is first, and then comes, shout it out, anyone? Unmute and shout. What comes next? Which one are you going to read next? Ruth. 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 Exactly. And then uh, Echa, Echa in the summer. And then Kohelet in the fall in Sukkot. And then Esther. So that is the Esther. That is the order in Ashkenazi written scrolls. Because occasionally these could be written in scrolls. Or in Ashkenazi printed Bibles. Janice Janice Yellen is here. Janice is in the house. Um, Sephardim have it in the order of when they are believed to have taken place historically. So which one took place historically first? Anyone can shout it out. Ruth. Ruth. Because Ruth. Ruth says that it took place in the period of the Judges. 1200 to 1000 BCE before we had kings. So in Sephardi scrolls, Ruth is first, then Shir Hashirim, which Solomon is believed to have been written when he was a young man, then Kohelet, which Solomon is believed to have written when he was an older man, then Echa, destruction of the temple, and then Esther. So Esther is last in both systems. So Ashkenazim and Sephardim have these scrolls in a different order. Um, The Shir Hashirim is connected to Pesach. Why? It's about springtime, young love in springtime, and most of the Jewish tradition, the bulk of Jewish interpretive tradition over the centuries has seen Shir Hashirim to be a a story of a metaphor of God's love for Israel. And when did we first fall in love and get together? It's when we first got together with God as a people, the Exodus of Egypt, So this is the origin of us as a people. You can think of it as Passover is the birthday party of the Jewish people as a nation, right? So we read on Pesach the scroll that has to do with both springtime, because Pesach is a spring festival, as well as the beginning when God and the Jewish people started to date, so to speak, metaphorically. Um, And liturgically... um, Chirashirim is read on that Shabbat in Pesach. Some people actually read it at the Seder, Passover Seder, in the latter part of the Seder. Um, and you may be familiar with actually some uh, Mizrachim and Sephardim read Chirashirim every Friday night, actually right before Kabbalah Shabbat. Rabbi Shatz.
0: Yeah, Joel Elkins had a question that I think has to do with exactly what you're talking about right now. <clears throat> he said traditionally the entire Tanakh um, and even oral law was given on Harsinai. <clears throat> Does this include Shir HaShirim, even though it was written by Solomon?
1: Um, it's a great question. I don't believe there are any authorities, even traditional, who say all of Tanakh was given on Har Sinai. Only the Torah, which is the written law is Torah, meaning the Chumash, and the oral law is what we would call the Mishnah. But, um, in the Talmud, it says, all the other books of Nevi'im and Ketuvim were written by human beings later on. They may have written it Beruach HaKodesh, with divine inspiration, but there is no claim as far as I know within traditional Jewish literature that these were given at Sinai. Okay, thank you for asking that so I could clarify. Now, Shirashirim traditionally is attributed to King Solomon for obvious reasons, as we'll see in verse 1. Um, and um, of all the biblical books, Joshua Shirim really stands out as unique. We can't say very unique because that's bad English. You're either unique or not, but it's really unique. And it's unique for three reasons, maybe more than three reasons, but three obvious ones. One, um, it's frank um, eroticism is so out of keeping, with anything else anywhere in the Bible, okay? So um, it's not like the Bible doesn't know about love. Yeah, like Jacob falls in love with Rachel right away when he sees her, and that's why he works seven years for her. So the Bible knows about love, and the Bible knows about sex, but the Bible does not generally talk anywhere else that I can think of about love or about sex at great length, and it does in Shir Hashirim, right? So Shir Hashirim is really, you know, uh, remarkably erotic, and is very different than anything else in the Tanakh. Number two, um, it's extremely, and I'm I'm now going to use a modern term, secular. Overtly, explicitly, it has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with religiosity, It has nothing to do with, to do with spirituality, although you, unless you want to consider love and Eros to be spiritual, which is fine with me. If you want to consider that to be spiritual, I'll I'll get on board with that. But all the themes that we think of, like, you know, God and Torah and Israel and mitzvot and, and, and prophecy and all the stuff that the rest of the Bible is about, um, that is totally. Absent from Shir the and is devoid of that. Now, of course, the whole later Jewish interpretive tradition understood all of Song of Songs to be about God's love for Israel, okay, the romance between the Jewish people and Hashem. But none of that is explicit. None of that is shot, all right? So we have a book that's totally secular that appears to be essentially about Two young lovers, right what 's jererim about it 's about the the love affair of two young lovers. Third aspect of Sheharirim, which makes it really unique in Bible literature, is um, what I 'll call the female voice or the feminine voice. You will see I will give you a text of Shirasharirim to look at, which I have labored at long and hard, struggling with word and different fonts to put the man and the woman in different colored fonts, so you could see. And what you will find is the majority of Shir Shirim is said by the woman, not by the man. And we'll also see the eroticism is just as explicit on the part of the female as on the part of the male, right? It's kind of shocking, again, when you compare it to the rest of Tanakh. Not necessarily shocking, Compared with what you felt like or did when you first fell in love at age whatever, right? But but we don't have that anywhere else in the in the Bible. Um, and actually, we'll also find, i you know, as we pay attention to the subtleties of voice, um, I think the female's voice in Shir Hashirim is more emotionally alive and sophisticated than the male voice. The male voice is like, oh, you are so good looking, okay? And the female's voice is much more subtle than that, although there is a lot of, your thighs are so hot, okay? You'll pardon me for putting it that way, but that's what we'll be reading. Um, but the female is more emotional and nuanced and, and there are some modern scholars who think of Shir Hashirim as poetry that was written by, and perhaps the book as a whole pulled together and composed by a woman or women, right? So what we find the female voice in Shir Hashirim much more than we do really anywhere else in the Tanakh. So, um, Frank eroticism, it's, Secularity and the female voice are three reasons that make Shir really a very distinctive uh, biblical book. Um, I put this in my outline in brackets. I'm just going to put it in brackets because we're because I want to acknowledge it, but I, I I don't have time or bandwidth to talk about it. Um, but um, Shir Hashirim is what we would call nowadays extremely heteronormative. Okay. Um, And I wonder how queer people read it. Do they say, like, oh, I get out of it what I get out of it, or I find this alienating? So um, it is a very uh, sexy, in a traditional heteronormative, there's a guy and a girl, and the girl likes the guy for certain guy characteristics, and the guy likes the girl for certain girl characteristics. Um, And I think. Uh, I just want to say we could read it in a in a queer context and people might might find different things in it. Um, I'm not going to do that because that's not my field. Um, But I just want to sort of want to put that out there. Um, And one question that I want us to keep in mind as we read through Shir Hashirim is, um, is Shir Hashirim just, I'm going to put it in air quotes, a collection of love poems, or does it have a sort of trajectory to it? Is there a plan? Is there a story okay um I guess I'll foreshadow and say, I think there is sort of a story and a trajectory but it can be tricky to follow and it's not obvious. And there are points when we're reading, when we feel like, oh, it's a love poem and here's the next love poem and here's the next love poem and it's just a series of love poems. So did someone just say, oh, I'm gonna take love poems, I'm gonna stick them all together, don't worry about the order of them or is there some order that makes sense? So I'm gonna leave that question to hang for the next four weeks, we'll come back to it. Um, okay, the other thing that Rabbi Schatz is gonna put in the chat is um, there's a phenomenal one-volume commentary on Sharia in the Jewish Publication Society series of Bible commentaries, which I think it normally costs either 75 bucks or 90 bucks, but... It's forty percent off. I just got an email this morning. They're having a pre-Passover sale. Uh, um, JPS was bought several years ago by uh, University of Nebraska Press. So I've asked Rabbi Shots to to drop it into the chat for everyone in case you want to get that volume. Okay, and Rabbi Shots, and now you can screen share, please, with my handout. Okay. Scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Okay. Keywords to know and follow. Wait, wait, wait. Back, 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 back. Keywords to know and follow. Okay. So, um, so the man refers to the woman as Ra'ayah, which is female of the Hebrew word Reah, Reah, Reish, Ayan, which has nothing to do with Ra, evil. Reah means friend in the sense of mate. Hey, mate, my friend. And he refers to as the Ra'ayah in this translation that we're using. Um, it's translated as darling, okay? That, because it's not the translation is not originally in colored font. They want you to be able to follow when the man is speaking to the woman and when the woman is speaking to the man. So the JPS translation, which we're using, um, when he says rayati, it's referred to as my darling. So darling is the woman. Dod is the woman's term for the man. It's translated as beloved, Okay. By the way, you might say, how come that means uncle also? So I think the answer to that is, um, Dod probably means beloved, right? Or at its core meaning. And your beloved, your closest kinsman in ancient Israel was your father's brother. He was your closest kin outside of your nuclear family, right? I think that's why he's called Dod. Um, but it, in Shir Hashirim, it means, it's translated here as beloved. It really means lover, like lover man, okay? Um, ahava means love in pretty much the same word that we use love in English. But there's another term that's used, dodim, which is basically lovin, L-O-V-I-N apostrophe, like in blues songs, which means it's a euphemism for uh, physical activity, not necessarily intercourse, right? One question that hangs through Shir Hashirim is is the relationship ever actually consummated? Do the Raya and the dod actually have intercourse? It's hinted at, and we'll see where it is hinted at, but it is not made explicit, okay? And there are all sorts of euphemisms for genitals, um, but these are the, like the core words that we'll see over and over again, Okay. Um, and you see Dode and Dodim go together. Dode means lover. It's like a woman in the Blue Song who calls her man lover man, okay? And Dodim is the lovin', okay? So we'll see these words over and over again. Here we go. Shira Shirima Shirli Shlomo, Song of Songs of Solomon is a better translation. So it could mean by Solomon. It could mean concerning Solomon, okay? Um, I'm going to read Oh, give me the kisses of your mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Anyone who's following in the Hebrew knows it's not exactly this, it's Yishakeni minishikot pihu, which literally means let him kiss me from the kisses of his mouth. Your love is more delightful than wine. So we'll see, recurrently in Song of Songs, um, the subtle shifts in who's talking to who. Ooh, what happened to the screen there? It got weird, Rabbi Schatz. Is it just me who looks, you guys? I don't know. Move it up or down a line. Up oh, there we go, now it's not weird. Okay, so we'll just leave it right there, right? So just, I just want you to hear this. I just want you to hear the shift, right, in the middle of the voice. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is sweeter than wine. So in the first half of the sentence, the woman is talking. Um, um, in the third person, let him kiss me. I read one commentator, who, modern commentator, who said, this is what she's thinking. She's thinking, I hope he kisses me. But what she actually says is, your kisses are the best. By the way, um, in the Hebrew, it's relatively obvious when the man is talking and when the woman is talking, because Hebrew is a highly gendered language without a neuter, okay? So it's obvious. Um, Pehu is his mouth right? So it's obvious that the woman is talking about the man. So what I have in red and what I have is blue is the woman's voice and the man's voice. For the most part, it's not guesswork on my part. There are a few sentences that are a little bit controversial, but in general, it's pretty obvious in Hebrew when the woman is talking, when the man is talking, okay? So she goes on. Um, Sorry, you know what I'm going to do? I'm You actually have the text in front of you. I'm actually going to freehand Translate from my Hebrew text. Let him kiss me from the kisses of his mouth. For your loving is better than wine. Um, Your sense, your ointment smells are so good. Your name or essence drips oil. That's why all the girls love you. Maidens is really young women, Alma. Little footnote, uh, Alma means maiden or lass, L-A-S-S. That's the word in Isaiah, right? Behold, a lass shall conceive that uh, Christians have mistranslated, not intentionally, but unintentionally, and misunderstood as behold, a virgin shall conceive. It's that same word, Yalma. Moschemiach arechan Pull me after you. Let's run. The king has brought me to his chambers. Let's rejoice together. Um, we'll savor your loving more than wine. Here in JPS, we have like the new wine, they love you. In Hebrew, it's mesharim ahevucha. Their interpretation, two different interpretations of this. For those who know the Hebrew, you'd say, why does mesharim mean? Why? Because me normally means judgment, righteousness. It's like a parallel of mishpat and tzedek. So one interpretation is it's like true means that's why they truly love you, or it's correct that all the women should love you. The translation upon which this JPS translation is based understands me as related to the word tirosh, which is a biblical word for wine and the resh and sheen got metathesized or turned around. Meshar is related to Tirosh and it means wine. It actually fits the context better because we're talking about kisses sweeter than wine. If I may quote the folk song, which is probably quoting song of songs, right? Um, mesharim is usually what the king does. It's like justice and righteousness. So to all of a sudden say, yes, it is correct that all the other maidens love you too, that's sort of a little bit out of place, right? Whereas wine fits the context better. Okay, so this seems to finish. So if if we look at actually different, I'm gonna call them poemlets, little poems, within the woman's thing, because I don't wanna suggest that the woman's thing is all one poem, right? So we start with, I want to kiss you because I love your kisses and you smell so good. That's why all the girls love you. Pull me along. Let's run off together. Okay? That could stand by itself as a little poem. Then we have, in the middle of verse 4, all of a sudden, the king, by the way, Sometimes in this version we have the king and sometimes we have the shepherd and is it one lover who's called a king and a shepherd or is, are we have different poems combined together? Do we have poems about the king who's King Solomon and I am one of the maidens in his harem or, um, and some of the poems are about a shepherd and a shepherdess. There are people who try to have a, uh, when I say people, I mean commentators, who try to have a unified, like their unified field theory, their unified rubric for all of Shira Shirim who say, this is about a shepherd maiden. King Solomon took her into his court while she was really in love with a shepherd boy who she wanted to run off with. They make it into a sort of a, a love triangle story. But I just want to point out sometimes we're talking about a king, Sometimes we're talking about a shepherd. Is the king an epithet for the shepherd and they're all one lover? Is the shepherd an epithet for the king and are they all one lover? Are they two different men? Are they different poems from different contexts that are put together? Again, I'm just going to let those questions hang and and I'm not going to probably not going to answer any of them. Um, Rebecca?
0: Yes. So Larry or Diane had a question. But wait,
1: but wait, but wait, hold on. Hold on to the question. Okay. So let's run away. So then we have the king talked me to his chambers. Let's party here with your love. I love it better than wine, like new wine. And then there's another pause. And then when we get a, a, in verse five, we're going to get up to another poem. Lit. Yes, Rabbi shots.
0: Okay. So this is, it's about verse four. Um, how do you translate Bach in verse four?
1: Um, let's rejoice in you. Right. I love being with you. Right. So I don't have a better translation. So again, this is sort of the confusion of, I'm going to call it voices. She's talking to herself. She's talking to him. She's talking about us. And, and we could just say, well, is that poetic or is that the madness of passion that causes people to talk in a grammatically confused way, right? I love you, we are so great together. Okay, then we have another poemlet. a famous one, ava, I am dark but lovely, which could also mean I am dark and lovely, sometimes translated as I am black and beautiful, daughters of Jerusalem. So for the first time here, she's talking to someone else. Presumably we would just refer this as, as the other local girls. Are they her girlfriends? Are they the royal princessy city girls? Cause we're going to see she's a country girl. Right. So I'm like the tents of Kedar. Kedar is somewhere in Arabia. And I read a commentary that says the tents are made of, uh, goat skins, which a uh, goat Hair, which is dark, so their tents are dark. Kiriot shlomo, like the pavilions of Solomon. Now I'm dark, like the dark goat hair. That's one thing. But why are Solomon's pavilions dark? I don't know. Some scholars say it's not really shlomo; it's some other. It's a. It is a. Forgive me, scribal error for some other tribe from Arabia near Kedar. Right. So I'm dark. Don't stare at me. Don't look at me like that because I'm dark. The implication, of course, is the daughters of Jerusalem are not dark, right? They are fair-haired city girls. I imagine them, you know, they, they, they carry those little parasols to keep the sun off their skin, right? So I'm dark. Why am I dark? Because the sun has gazed upon me. I don't quite know why this is the translation of shishizafatni. Um, we would, nor, the simplest meaning is because the sun has tanned me, right? We'll see in a moment how I got dark. My mother's sons, which is another way of saying, my brothers were angry with me. They made me guard the vineyards. I didn't guard my own vineyard. just want to pause here. So my brother's were angry at me. So they said to me, you got to go stand out in the sun and watch the vineyard. That's how I got so dark. That's the sort of simple idea here. Okay. Um, why the brothers? We tend to think, superficially, we think that biblical society was patriarchal, but not necessarily. Some of the time it was fratriarchal. The people who were in charge of the single women's Safety and chastity were the brothers, right? We sadly we read this sometime, you know, in the paper when you read about like these honor killings in the Middle East. Like there was a young woman who ran away with some guy, and the family feels she's dishonored. Um, sometimes the people who kill her are her brothers. It's the brothers who are responsible for the family honor. Sorry to bring that up in Shira Shireen. It's very upsetting. Um, how do we know from the Bible by the way, can we think of a story where it's the brother who is in charge of the sister getting married off? Can we think of a story from the book of Genesis? Anyone can shout it out Dina Dina's right. Dina is like one of those middle Eastern stories they're concerned right for her her virtue. Yes, what other story from genesis not an not an unhappy story. <laughs> Rivka, Rivka, yeah, yeah. Rivka, Rebecca, who takes, who who comes to the fore with R- Rivka's household and does the speaking? It's not her father, Bichuel, it's Lavan, who's the one who runs out to the well to greet Jacob and come stay with us, right? It's Lavan, right? So basically we do have in Middle East, in some Middle Eastern cultures, ancient cultures, some of them still contemporary, may have been, it was the brothers of the girl who are the ones who are the guardians of the virtue so my brothers my brothers they were angry at me and they said you go stand watching the vineyard over there." right they gave me some chore to do that's why i got dark i didn't guard my own vineyard now as we'll see vineyard sometimes here is a euphemism for the woman's sexuality um and could it mean they sent me to uh, double entendre they sent me to guard the vineyard but I didn't remain chaste myself. Could it mean they sent me to guard the vineyard, but I didn't guard my own territory? Because if I would have guarded my own territory, I would still be with my shepherd lover. Don't know. Just want to let it hang there. So now she's talking to her lover man. Tell me you whom I love so well, where do you pasture your sheep? Where do you rest them at noon? So she's clearly not talking to King Solomon, right? Talking to a shepherd, right? So where are you going to be when your sheep recline at midday? I don't want to be wandering around among all the other shepherds. And now the man speaks. Well, if you don't know, beautiful, most beautiful woman, go out, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your goats at the various uh, shepherd herds, or shepherd tents, then there's a pause. That's his answer to her question. And then he seems to go into something like another little poemlet, right? I liken you, my darling, to the mare and Pharaoh's chariot. Now, in our culture, this would not be considered a compliment, to a woman in general, right? You are like a horse. Yes. But of course, that's not what it means. We have to imagine what does it mean? Pharaoh's chariot. The, you know, Pharaoh probably took very good care of the horses, right? He says, imagine a horse being, I don't know, sleek, shiny, well brushed, something like that. Okay. Um, so you're like a beautiful, Mare and Pharaoh's chariot. Ah, uh, Your cheeks are comely with plated wreaths, your neck with strings of jewels. I do have to say the man does tend to dwell on the physical in Shirim. We will add wreaths of gold to your spangles of silver. So it's like you're beautiful and you got this beautiful jewelry. You are so beautiful. That's his poem. Then we have back to the voice of the woman. While So we're back to the king. While the king was on his couch, my nard, which is an ancient spice, don't ask me what it smells like, gave forth its fragrance. We have lots of fragrances in Shurashirim. All the modern commentators say, by the way, these fragrances, these plants, they were not all native to Eretz Yisrael. Most of them were not native to Eretz Yisrael. Most of them, they were imported and they were expensive and exotic. okay. So, my beloved to me is like a bag of myrrh lodged between my breasts, which I can—I want to point out—could either mean, and by the way, in he, this works in Hebrew and in English. Either he is like—you have to imagine the bag of myrrh being some little thing she wore around her uh, neck, a little uh, what do we call that? A little sachet. I need a woman to find out the word. A little sachet with with herbs in it that she wears around her neck to smell nice. So it could mean that the sack of myrrh, my beloved, is to me like the sack of myrrh that I have lodged between my breasts that I'm wearing right now. Or it could also mean my beloved is lodged between my breasts just like a sack of myrrh. He is lying, he's reclining with his head in the place where my sachet of fragrances usually is my beloved to me is like a spray of henna blooms from the vineyards of Ain and apparently henna does grow in Ain i read okay so he is like my perfume. it's it can it it conveys its perfume its scent it's also intimacy because the woman wears these things on her person the man perhaps lying lodged between her breasts gazing up into her eyes says Ah, you are fair, my darling. You are fair with your dove-like eyes, which he doesn't say in Hebrew. He just says, naich yonim." Your eyes are doves. Yeah, I think, I don't, I don't know why the JPS had to make it better English. They should have just said what he says. Your eyes, they're doves. And again, you have to imagine people, you know, they're in love. They're gazing at each other. They're filled with Love, infatuation, sometimes passion, and they're not necessarily grammatically coherent. Okay, or speaking in full declarative sentences. He says, nayach yonim, your eyes are doves." Now, um, where am I? Sorry. Give me a second. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I want to go to the Hebrew for a moment of these two verses, which are the two verses, uh Rabbi Schatz, could you just scroll down to, keep going, keep going, right here, right there, stop, stop. So, right at the middle of on, on page three here, the new page, right in the middle of the first line where we have the Samech, which means there's a little space in the scroll where the scribe left it, okay? I just want you to see the the mirroring of what the man and the woman say. So the man says, you can, even if you don't understand Hebrew, you can hear it. The man says, Hinach yafa You are so beautiful, my darling. Hinach yafa yonim, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She then says, Hinach dodi. She uses the same word. In Hebrew words, it's yafa and yafeh. It's the same word for a woman or a man. In English, it doesn't work because in, in English, we would tend to say beautiful for a woman and handsome for a man. But I want you to realize it's actually the same word. It's just gender differently. Hinecha yafeh You are beautiful male, my lover. Afnaim. And our bed. Now you can go back to the English. Rabbi Schatz, scroll back up. Our couch is in a bower or something like that. We're reclining on something cushy. Cedars are the beams of our house, cypresses, the rafters. So now we're not shepherds in a field at this moment, and we're not in the king's chambers in this moment. We are now in um under a tree somewhere in a bower. Okay, because we're literally worse. So she's saying, you know, the lintels and the doorposts of, of our chamber here, our by it, are trees. So again, I just want to put this point out that you, you read it as if it's a chapter. In fact, it's a chapter that has in it, I didn't count up, but I don't know, five or six easily little poemlets. Okay, so we shift from scene to scene, um, from tone to tone. Sometimes it's, Googly-eyed, and sometimes we're talking to the daughters of Jerusalem. sometimes they'll get very passionate, OK? Sometimes we're gazing at each other's body parts. All right We'll see more of that later. So we have all of these shifts. This is clearly not one continuous thing. OK, I'm going to pause to see rabbi Schatz if there are any urgent questions, I want to make sure to read chapter two, because I want to stick to that part of our agenda.
0: I uh, okay. There are some questions like from before, but um, none that have come in. If you
1: feel they will move the discourse forward, interrupt with them, otherwise we'll hold on to them. Okay, I'm going to zip through chapters two a little faster because I do want to get to some of the Midrashic, some of the stuff. Okay. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. All of the modern commentators say we do not know what these flowers really are. They're not necessarily a rose. They're not necessarily a lily. We don't know. Chavatzelet and Shoshana, whatever. So she's saying, I'm a flower, right? Like the man says, like a lily among thorns or thorn bushes, so is my darling among the maidens, meaning you are so much beautiful than everyone else. One suggestion, is she saying, just, just a possibility, is she saying, I'm just like a common flower? in a valley of flowers. And he is saying, no, you are like a flower among thorn bushes. Meaning she's saying, I'm just common. And he's saying, no, you're so special. Or is she saying, I am a beautiful flower. And he is saying, yes, you are like a beautiful flower. Okay. I just want to raise that. She's speaking again. Like an apple tree among trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the youths. All the modern commentators say apples are not native to Eretz Israel and did not taste very good in ancient times. And a tapuach is not an apple in the Bible. And anyone know what the suggestion is? You can shout it out if you know. Apricot. The answer is apricot. So several of the modern secular Bible commentators say it's an apricot. Okay. Tapuach in modern Israeli means a apple, but the modern scholars and archaeologists say people in the land of Israel did not grow and eat apples back then. So tapuah does not mean apple tree. So like a whatever a fruit tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the youths. I love to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my mouth. He brought me to the banquet room and his banner of love was over me. Vidiglow alay ahava um Now that makes it sound a little bit like Solomon banquet room. What is the banner of love? What does that mean? Some moderns say that um there's a word there's a a rare poetic meaning of Dagul means to look, okay? And that would fit better. His he looked at me with love. Vidiglo Alai Ahava might mean he looked at me lovingly, which certainly fits context better. Now she is saying, I, "I now I imagine we we imagine her as like a Southern bell, right? I'm I'm faint with love, right? Sustain me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apricots, for I am faint with love." His left hand was under my head; his right arm right arm embraced me. I adjure you, O maidens of Jerusalem, by gazelles or by hinds of the field, do not wake or rouse love until it please. This is sort of one of the hard to understand, but clearly important lines of Shira Shirim. She's talking to the other maidens. And what does it mean to say, don't wake or rouse love until it please? Does it mean don't force us to be together until we're ready or don't? I'm entirely clear. I'm just going to let the question hang. Hark, my beloved, or Cold od, the voice of my beloved. There he comes, leaping over mountains, bounding over hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or like a young stag. There he stands behind our wall, gazing through the window, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke thus to me. So just a few verses ago, again, just a shift how you see we're not in the same poem, poem lit. Just a few verses ago, we were saying, he took me into his banquet room. Now she's saying, I see him peering at me through the lattice. Remember a window in ancient times wasn't like a clear glass thing, right? I see him, he's he's peeping in, right? He's peeping in at me and he's whispering to me, why does he have to come to the window and whisper to me? Because they're not married, right? So he comes to the window and he's whispering to me and he says, Hey, let's run away. Arise, my darling, my fair one, come away. For now the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. The blossoms have appeared in the land. The time of pruning has come. Zamir means either pruning season, which is in spring, or it could also mean the time of singing. The word zamir means pruning or singing. By the way, because it's poetry, maybe it means both. Okay? The song of the turtle dove is heard in the land. The green figs form on the fig tree. The vines in blossom give off fragrance. So what time of year are we talking about? Spring. Springtime when a young man's thoughts of fancy turn to love. Okay. So it's clear here. Spring is used as a metaphor for our love is blossoming. Arise, my darling, my fair one, come away. So the man is saying, everything is in bloom, sweetie. Let's run away together. He says through the window. Could you scroll down a bit there? Rabbi shots. Oh, my dove. I'm not sure why this line in our JPS translation is in quotes. I don't know. Oh, my dove in the cranny of the rocks hidden by the cliff. Let me see your voice. Let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your face is comely. Now she is speaking again. This is another cryptic line. Catch us, the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards for our vineyard is in blossom. Some scholars say she's quoting some kids. By the way, you hear it. I want you to hear it in Hebrew. Uh, where'd it go? Sorry. Give me a second. That's fetch us the foxes, the little foxes that harm the vineyards. Some people say it's like almost like a kid's nursery rhyme, right? Does it mean guard us against the foxes? The foxes are going to, destroy the vineyard, is the vineyard her chastity, do we have to guard against the foxes, are we guarding against other foxes, but I want my guy to come to the vineyard right, so it's not until, you can go back to the English Shabbat shots. so is she quoting something is it a double entendre she is certainly saying uh, my vineyard is in bloom right, our vineyard is blooming now right? So is that, that seems to be a suggestion of sexuality. It's about their love. It's about their passion. Okay. My beloved in mine, and I am he, I am his, the one who browses among the lilies. When the day blows gently and the shadows flee, set out my love, the woman is saying to the man, swift as a gazelle or a young stag for the hills of spices. Okay. We have four minutes left. In those 4 minutes I'm going to tell you what's in the handout that you can read on your own. So the Rabbinic Talmudic view of Song of Songs, passage 1 is about and we're not going to read it together, you can read it you can read it later, but I'm just going to tell you what it's about. It's about an argument in the Rabbinic Talmudic sources about whether or not Song of Songs should be in the canon at all, okay? And the the Phrase that's used, which is counterintuitive, and I can't explain it because it's very complicated. And there are a lot of interpretations is a, a, a scroll, a text which is considered sacred can make your hands tamay, right? Um, contaminated. Now, in that counterintuitive, sacred scroll should be tahor. So it is. There are many reasons that are given uh, both by the traditional sources and modern sources about why a sacred skull makes your hands tame or defiled, just accept it at face value. So the argument is what are the texts that make your hand tame, and which ones do not? Okay. And there's an argument about writings that were seen as uh, not quite kosher. I'm not really sure it should be part of the biblical canon. And they are Kohelet, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs and there's an argument about it, right? Some rabbis say yes, some rabbis say no, some rabbis say it was a dispute. Rabbi Akiva says, no, 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 no. There was never an argument about Shir Shirashirim Shir is the holy of holiest of all writings. So we have Rabbi Akiva, a second century, very early authority, saying we see that there's an argument in the second century about this seems to be secular, explicit, erotic, love poetry that has nothing to do with religion. That seems to be what's behind this. Are we sure it should be part of the Tanakh? And Rabbi Akiva saying, this is the holiest part of the Tanakh, right? By the way, is that because it's about love and he believes that's the holiest part of the Tanakh? Or is that because he sees it as a metaphor for God's love for Israel? And that's why it's part of the Tanakh. Okay, scroll up. You can read that text at home on your own. Scroll up, scroll up, right? But passage two, Rabbi Akiva says, one who trills his voice while reciting Shira Shirim in the drinking hall, making it into a sort of song, has no portion in the world to come. Meaning if you sing love songs from Shirashirim while you're out at a bar, just like you're singing any kind of love songs, you have no portion in the world to come, which seems to suggest the Rabbi Akiva does not think this is just love poetry between a guy and a gal, right? Because he's making a very big religious statement here. Okay, scroll down number three. Passage number three is about um, the, the men of the great assembly, which means the scholars in the second temple time, we don't know who they were, 400, 300, 200 BCE. They needed to interpret, okay, They needed to interpret certain books because they might be perceived as heretical, okay? Kohelet, Proverbs, and Song of Songs, because they all have passages in them that might contradict things that it says in the good, proper Torah religion. And then the passage has something from Proverbs and something from Kohelet, which I left out. But if you scroll down, because it says, hey, Let's go out to the fields in chapter seven and spend the night together, which you would think, according to Leviticus, would be forbidden because they're not married, okay? So it says the men of the great assembly interpreted this, meaning there seems to already be in early rabbinic times a sense that we have shirashirim as part of our canon, not because it is love poetry and we want to have love poetry, okay, but rather because it is interpreted as a way that it is not actually love poetry between a man and a woman. It has a deeper religious meaning. And that's the basis of the whole Jewish interpretive tradition. Let's scroll down. I'm going to take about two more minutes. This says that Song of Songs was written by Solomon and he wrote three books, Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Song of Songs. And there's an argument, different sources about when he wrote them in his life. Scroll down. Rabbi Schatz. Modern Bible scholars look at Shira Shirim. Okay, um, you can read this at home, but I really have to go over it with you uh, next time. So actually, we're going to pick up here next time and go on to Midrash because you you can read it at home and you'll probably understand what i mean but i do want it is worth um going over why i have this here cuz it's going to help us think more about shir hashirim so it is 101 we have no time now for q and a or discussion uh join us next week next week is kind of standalone so you can invite your friends although you can also ask them to listen to the recording from this week where do they find the recording rabbi shots on the on our website
0: you were about to say it um yes on the website on the podcast a
1: button the podcast just- button right <laughs>
0: There's a so, podcast button, exactly. Right. Um, and you can find it there, and it'll be listed under Passover series.
1: And where will they, if they didn't get the um text, where will they get that? Is, will, I'm
0: going to send it actually to Bert to have it um attached to the podcast.
1: Excellent. So attached to the podcast will be a text if you want to read it or download it. And we are going to pick up where we left off next time, and we are going to do chapter three and four next time. And I will do less introduction and be more mindful of the time. So we can, cause, cause, cause I have an agenda. Okay. All right.
0: koach. This was wonderful. Thank you so
1: much. Be Torah, stay healthy.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Betham, Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.